Morning and happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. Uh, truly, He is risen. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter 1. And while you're turning there, let me just make a couple of comments, announcements still need to be made. One, I really want to thank everyone who served so diligently uh, and well yesterday for the wedding. Uh, A wedding is such a huge deal when we do it here on a Saturday. Um, but everybody came together and served, and it was beautiful to see. And the wedding was awesome. I know that many of the family uh, stayed, uh, and um, it, was, it was a great honor to see uh, your children wed here, family member met, wed here. It was, it was great to see. And now they're off, and they'll be back in a month uh, or so. <laughs> so. And also, I want to announce that, you know, normally on a Sunday night, we have home groups that meet in homes, like where we gather together in different homes in this town and in Hay Springs. Um, That's not going to happen tonight. In place of that, we're all going to gather here uh, in the the Ridge Room across the way there, and we're going to have a potluck at 6 p.m., Uh, So just a time of fellowship together as believers, celebrating the risen Christ. Everybody is welcome, whether you go to a home group or not. Everybody is absolutely welcome to come. Uh, We'd love to have you. Um, So there's a sign up for food. You can see what people are bringing. I think that's online, right? That's online. Yeah, so you can check our Facebook page and you can see that or our Instagram page and you can see that. And um, I think an email went out too. So I think we're all set that way. Uh, But come, please, and we'll fellowship together 6 p.m. tonight. All right, so Hebrews chapter 1, still on our little break from the Sermon on the Mount as we think about Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, even though we're focusing on one of those verses, actually a part of one of those verses today. So here we go. The Word of God says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray again and ask for God's help. Father, I pray on this Resurrection Sunday that you would ignite in our hearts a fire, a fire of faith, that we would believe, we would trust, we'd, our confidence would be in Christ alone, a fire of worship, worship to you for what you have done, what you do in this world, and how you have redeemed us through the blood of Christ, and how we have hope after the death, after, our, after death, because that tomb is empty today. Lord, I pray that you would ignite in our hearts a fire of devotion as we seek to obey the one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high as we realize and recognize and bow before his lordship, seeing that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. So ignite in our hearts, Father, I pray, faith, worship, and devotion. 
And I pray for your help. I pray that I would be nearly invisible, just pointing to your word, pointing to your truth, pointing to the Son of God and the hope that we should have in him. And Lord, I pray that you would move through that by your spirit. And we are full of gratitude for the empty tomb. It's not just a a spring day where we wear bright clothes and smile a lot. Our hope is risen. And we know we will rise with Christ. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think like the best way we can celebrate this, the amazing reality of the resurrection is to take a second pass at these four verses in Hebrews. This is where we were last week on Palm Sunday. If you missed it, you can go back and listen online, ridgeview.church. But we didn't fully unpack it last week, so this is round two. We won't fully unpack it this week either. Uh, In fact, the full unpacking of these four verses, I think, is the entire epistle of Hebrews, to the Hebrews, making the case for Christ's absolute, uncontested preeminence. Maybe one day we'll get there. Maybe one day we'll do that if the Lord grants. But today we're here. Last week, we focused on the fact that God has, in these last days, spoken through his Son, Spoken to us by his son. He has spoken a definitive, hope-filled word in the incarnation. God becoming flesh in the person of Christ. And the life and the teaching and the atoning death. And yes, in raising Jesus from the dead, God has spoken to us. He's spoken a word to us. And it's not like a, like a, a flat, monotone, boring word. He has spoken in surround sound, as it were. The the word that God has spoken to us points forward, it points back, it points up, it points all around. Forward to Christ as the heir of all things. Back to Christ as the agent of creation. Up to Christ as the one who radiates the glory of God. And around as the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's the word that God has spoken. That's the powerful word that God has spoken in these last days. And it was on that side of things that we focused last week. Where we're going this week is all in verse 3. And it's actually like a small part of verse 3. The last two phrases. I'm just going to press into those this morning. So we'll first think about the phrase. After making purification for sins. And then we'll press into what it means when he says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And my aim is to show you the loaded significance of those two phrases and what they mean for us. And friends, they are so loaded, so loaded. And what's packed in them is so good for our souls. These two phrases are packed with awesome truth that we focus on, especially this time of year with Good Friday and with Resurrection Sunday. They're loaded with the the atoning death of Christ and the glory of Christ's resurrection and his ascension back to heaven and to taking that throne in glory. He made purification for sins. That's about Jesus' death in our place. The reality that Christians focus on on Good Friday, we, we, t- we set that time aside to think about what Christ has done in making purification for our sins. And then today with the Lord's Supper, 
And the Son of God sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's about resurrection and ascension, which we celebrate today. So I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to do this this morning. For our hope and our confidence and our joy and our devotion, for our increased obedience to God and the way that we live our lives in light of the one who is raised again to sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's begin by just taking a closer look at the grammar. This, this is the most exciting part. <laughs> I know, you love grammar. It's hard to see this in most English translations, but there are three participles. This is where it gets really exciting, right? You hold on to your seats. There are three participle phrases that lead up to Christ's sitting down. And they're actually important, okay? They tell us about who Jesus is and what he accomplished that makes the sitting down make sense. So track with me for a moment. This is like rehearsing someone's bona fides when we mention, when we talk about the position they're about to assume. So saying something like, having finished law school at the top of his class and serving as a a prosecutor for many years and having written many watershed opinions, he sat down, he was appointed to take a seat on the appellate court. That kind of language. You see the participles of the ing phrases? Those ing phrases, having finished law school, having written opinions, that tells us why he should sit there. Those are bona fides. And that's the way the grammar works here, although it's difficult to see in most English translations. It could read, it could be translated, being the radiance of the glory of God and being the upholder of all things and having made purification for sins, Jesus sat down, the son sat down. So the, 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 the phrases, the participle phrases about who Jesus is, there's two of them there, about who he is, and then one about what he has accomplished. And we covered the two about his being last week, and today is the accomplishment we're thinking about. And you put all that together, and you see Jesus as bona fides. You see that Jesus has the right to sit in that high seat. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He upholds all things by the word of his power, and he has made purification For sins. Being those things and having done that thing, Jesus sat down. So let's just focus on the accomplishment, what Jesus did. That's what this day is all about, what Good Friday was all about, what Jesus has done. And what he has done is he has made purification for sins. I want to just make five comments about that. Five comments about Christ making purification for sins. First, the he there is Jesus. He made purification for sin. That's Jesus. Let there be no doubt where we must turn if we are to be made pure. If you want purification in your life, there's one person to turn to. We should not look to our good deeds or our religious activities. If we are defiled, it is not our participation in pious rituals or some self-cleansing effort or even like good things that we do, good good. Traditions that we follow or ceremonies like baptism and the Lord's Supper. None of those things make us pure before God. He, Jesus, made purification for sins. There's a definiteness to that, right? You see that? There is a finality to it. There's an exclusivity to it. If we are to be pure, we must turn to Christ because he is the one who made purification for sin. That's the first point. Second, It is sin which necessitates purification. He made purification for sins. That implies that sin defiles us. 
In the Levitical law, there were many things that made a person unclean. If a person touched a dead body, I don't know if you ever read Leviticus. It's, uh, it's loaded with this kind of language. If a person touched a dead body, he'd be unclean for a while. He'd be defiled. If he ate something that was unclean, he'd be unclean. Certain diseases made people unclean. Touching people who had certain diseases made people unclean. Touching unclean things. Eating unclean things, all those things made people unclean and it seemed really complicated. But what God was teaching us through those kind of pictures in the law is that there is such a thing as holiness and there is such a thing as unholiness. There is purity and there is impurity. God, through the law, was teaching us important categories. The categories of holiness and of unholiness. And for the holy or the pure, to stay pure, to stay holy, he must re- to remain in that category, there were things he couldn't come into contact with. That was, mostly the pic- that was mostly a picture to demonstrate the nature of holiness. God is holy. He is in a separate category. And he, by nature of his holiness, will not touch nor look upon that which is not holy. He's in a separate category. So sinful man has a massive problem, Right? He cannot stand before a holy God because God is pure and sin makes man impure. But God is a loving God and a great, and he has a great love. And in his great love, God has sent the son to take our impurities in himself and to make purification for sins so that what couldn't be in the presence of God before because it was unclean, Defiled by sin, now in Christ could be made pure. Third, if it's sin that defiles a person, and and it is, then we all stand in great need of the purifying work of Christ. Isn't that what Romans 3.23 teaches? We're all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are defiled by sin. And so all of us stand in great need of God's purifying work in Christ. Without that, we are defiled. Without that, we are doomed in our uncleanliness. We are hopeless. We stay in our sad category without Christ. And you might hear that and think, I don't really feel impure. I don't feel impure. Maybe, I, maybe you live a decent life. Maybe you do a lot of good things. Maybe you don't play in the dirt of sin all that often. And so you think, Mike, you, you talking like that, I don't feel like I'm impure. How can you say that I'm impure? As part of my training to become a missionary many years ago, uh, I went through a primitive uh, living course. There's a primitive, it was just part of our, our training to become a missionary. So for a couple of months, I lived in primitive conditions in a wilderness area in Canada. I had to build a makeshift house. I had to build my own furniture, um, like, you know, like poles tied together that I would sit on uncomfortably. We, let, we lived in the woods, literally lived in the woods for a couple months. Sounds awesome to guys, right? But it was not awesome, you know. You had to hike in all your food that you brought in, all that. Um, yeah, I, I made this, like, awesome mud stove, and I, I actually baked a loaf of bread in it, like, as part of my, like, tests or whatever. But anyway, I uh, had a dirt floor, had these throw rugs that I could beat out once a day on that dirt floor to pretend like things were clean. I, 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 I did my laundry in a bucket. You ever done that? It's fun. 
Can I try that? So you just, uh, you just take creek water into a pail and you put a little bit of detergent in there and then you put your clothes in there and you agitate it with a stick, right? Wring it out and then uh, rinse it and then wring it out again and then hang it on a line and it's dry and clean. <laughs> Felt clean. I made a shower with a bucket. I can go on and on. I made a shower, you know, you, you have this bucket of creek water, heat it up, tie it up, a little valve, you could wash, all that. And the point of all that was to teach us how to live in primitive conditions like we might if we had to live in a jungle area, right? Uh, as it turned out, I was a missionary in like a city of 500,000 people, didn't have to ever do that, but never used those skills, but fun to learn them nonetheless. And I, you know, I thought I was doing a pretty good job, especially while I was in the camp. I thought I was always clean. I thought my clothes were always clean. I thought, I thought you know, I'm, I'm, I'm killing this, right? Then one day, a guy is doing something he shouldn't have been doing and cut his hand really badly, another guy in the training there. And he, we did first aid, but he needed to go, he needed to get some stitches and have, see a doctor and probably get tetanus shot or something. So uh, we did first aid on him. I hiked him out because our cars were parked many miles away. And so we hiked out. I hiked, I, just me and him. I hiked him out, uh, jumped in my car, drove him to the hospital. Uh, he's, he's getting treated and I'm sitting in this really clean uh, emergency room, right? Around all these people who like laundered their clothes in real washing machines and who washed their hands and, and, and you know, all that stuff in real facilities, didn't have a dirt floor. And all of a sudden I felt incredibly dirty. Do you know what I mean? You know that? Like in the camp, I felt fine, right? I didn't know that I smelled like smoke. <laughs> I did then, right? When people would sit next to me and they're just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't know. You don't know. When you're comparing yourself with people in your same camp, you don't know. But when you remove yourself and you put yourself in a place of cleanliness or near something that is clean, then you see. Then you know, I'm dirty. My point in telling you that is nothing changed in me. Nothing changed in me from that moment that I was in my camp to when I was sitting in that emergency room feeling unclean. I felt clean here. I felt dirty here and nothing had changed in me. Nothing. My surroundings had changed, but not me. I was just as filthy in the camp as I was in that emergency room. I just didn't know it in the camp and I could see it in the emergency room. Do you see? The problem is, is that we often just compare ourselves with those people who are around us in the same camp and for sure, there are people who live worse than, than you might live. But that is not the standard for true holiness. God does not look and like think that way about us. He doesn't compare us with one another and say, you're doing better than him, so come here. You're good. The standard of righteousness is God himself. That's different. That's the other category. And when you sit in that category, you're not thinking, I smell great right now. You're seeing the dirt and you're feeling the impurity and you're recognizing your need before a holy God. It is sin which defiles us. Fourth, if Christ made purification for sin and that purification is sufficient, like the work that he did, if it's enough, then no matter how impure you are because of sin, you can be made pure by Christ. There is no impurity too great for the purifying work of Jesus Christ. Hear that if you're feeling impure. 
You might feel, you might not like resonate with the story I just told at all. You might not feel smug and clean at all. You might feel dirty. You might have come here today feeling dirty, recognizing your past and knowing that there's a lot of shame there, a lot of impurity. And as the defilement of your sin, you could think that the defilement of your sin of your past makes you ineligible for God's mercy, but that is not true. Not to give you another laundry illustration, but you know, every time I see a stain on a shirt, I'm skeptical it'll ever come out. Are you there with me there? Like anything that lands on my shirt, I think it's done. Time to throw it away, get a new one, you know, because, and a lot of that comes from my singleness when I did my own laundry, (laughs) because that was true. That sin was baked in there. It's not coming out. But my wife is like this ninja when it comes to removing stains, you know? Stains have no chance in her laundering process. Like, I, I, I pour, like, grape juice all over a brand white... Uh, not really, but, you know, I'm embellishing. But she takes the stains out, right? She, she can do what I cannot. She, she, can, she can handle stains that I cannot handle. Sure, your sin is too much for your own laundering. Way too much. Those, those stains, friends, are baked in there and you have no hope of getting them out. None. But Christ did what you cannot do. And his work is sufficient. There is no sin that can withstand the righteous work of Christ on the cross for the one whose faith is in Jesus. He made purification for sins and his work is sufficient. If you're in Christ, you're pure. When you look back at your past and you feel the weight of shame and dirtiness of sin, let that truth fill your heart and let the cross fill your eyes. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He makes it white as snow. Fifth, if all this is true, and I understand it and believe it, then humility becomes the air that I breathe. Pride becomes, pride because of self-righteousness, because I think I'm purer than others, is obliterated. All who are pure have been purified by Christ alone. It is by his mercy and by his grace, and so I don't have anything to boast about, not myself, nothing to boast about. My boast is in the cross of Christ. Jesus made purification for my sins. I couldn't do it. I couldn't get the stain out. He did it. I will boast in him. Humility becomes the air that I breathe as I understand grace. All right, so those are some thoughts about the purifying work of Christ as bonafides of Christ taking a seat in verse three. Now let's just consider where, that, where those bonafides lead to him sitting down The end of verse three says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and sitting down implies two very powerful truths that I just wanna highlight this morning before we close. These are truths that give us hope and these are truths that demand our allegiance to Jesus on this resurrection day morning. First, his sitting down implies that the work is finished. Uh, it's almost branding season, right? Or it is branding season. I, I, I know some people have already put out word that there's brandings coming up. Um, for those of you who aren't in the ranching world, you should definitely try to go to, uh, to a branding. They're awesome. I love them. They're great. I love branding season. My family loves branding season. But if I'm being honest, I'm not as excited to wrestle calves as I once was in my life. 
a uh, little less excited about wrestling cows. I can still do it, kind of. Uh, still a lot of fun. But here's the thing. No one brings lawn chairs out in the branding part of the branding. Do you know what I mean? Like, no one's, like, getting out their lawn chairs and sitting down uh, while, while the branding's going on. You just don't do that, right? There's no sitting while the branding's going on. People are on their feet, or they're on calves, or they're on horses all morning. Most of you have done it. You've seen it at a branding. You stand in a line until it's your turn, then you wrestle a calf, and you hold it down while people do the inoculations and branding and all that, and then you let it go, and then what do you do? You go stand in line again, right? So it's your turn again. The work's not finished. You don't sit down. It's not the time to sit because the work continues. But when the work is done, right, what do you do? You go to the rancher's house. You have a meal. There, there's chairs. That's the time to sit. And you know why that's the time to sit? The work is done. It's complete. There's no more work to do. There was no sitting for Jesus on Good Friday. None. That was the time for Christ to do his gracious work to redeem you and me. He didn't sit. He stood why people beat him. He stood why people mocked him. He hung while he died. There's no sitting. He was doing a work. But when that work was finished and he made purification for sin, then, then it was time to sit down, signifying it is finished. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 puts it like this. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which, he can never, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected all time those who are being sanctified. He finished his work. He finished it with his arms stretched wide, nailed to a rough cross, naked, bloodied, alone, bearing the sin of the world, being pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. He did his work. He suffered in my place. And then he cried out when it was done, it is finished. And so Jesus, having been crucified for us and buried, and on the third day raised up in triumphant resurrection, and then ascending soon after into heaven, sat down because his work was done. That's the first point. He sat down having finished his work. But there's another really important aspect of this, really important truth for us. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that implies, that means, that doesn't just imply, that means that he took a seat of high authority, of the highest authority. It's like we, when we say he took a seat on the high court, the seat represents his authority. The seat represents his place. Jesus has taken the highest place, the highest point of authority in the universe. Or to use his own words in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is exalted. He is the one who conquered death and the grave, and he is the one who is exalted above all, and he is the one who's been given a name that's above every name. And the rest of Hebrews goes on to teach that he is better 
repeats it over and over again. He is better, better than angels, better than Moses, better. He is better. He has the highest seat. He has all authority. He is the one who reigns over all, and there is no one within his jurisdiction, which is everywhere, that is not under his authority. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He has all authority over every being in the universe. Listen how Abraham Cooper put it. He says, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Just in plain and practical terms, Christ taking the highest seat at the right hand of the majesty on high means that he has authority over me and over you and over everybody in the world. There is no one who is not under his authority. You know, the greatest rebel and the most ardent worshiper and follower of Jesus, they are equally under the authority of Christ. Equally. One simply knows it and one doesn't. But they are equally under his authority. And one day that will be made plain and clear and they will know as equally as the other group. Because their knees will bow, their tongue will confess. He has all authority. We can pretend it's not true. You know, I'm not terribly upset by the language of make Jesus the Lord of your life. Because I know what we mean. I mean, we mean bow before the Lord. But the reality is you don't actually make him Lord of your life. He is Lord of your life. You just don't know it. Or you pretend not to know it. Or you rebel against that reality. Or you submit to it happily and joyfully and live your life in submission to his authority. No matter, he is Lord of lords. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has taken that seat. So Jesus made purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, so loaded with implication for our life, right? I believe that that is a call to faith. If you are a sinner defiled by sin, there is one, my friends, who made purification for sins. And this is a call for you to believe in him. You cannot get those stains out yourself. You cannot. He can. He did. Trust in him today. Don't look to your goodness, your good deeds, your supposed righteousness, your religious traditions. Don't just compare yourselves with others in your camp. See by the light of God's word and the illumination of his spirit and the power of the law that you are dirty by sin and turn to Christ for his purifying work, his sufficient work, which he has done. It is finished. This is a call to joyful, humble confidence in his finished work. You know, I don't have to worry. Because of this, I don't have to worry about what you think of me. I don't. I don't have to worry about what people think of me. I don't have to put on a facade, put up a facade. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to perform. I don't have to do any of that. Jesus paid it all. I can simply look to the cross and rest in the finished work of my risen Lord Jesus Christ. He sat down. My confidence is seated with him. This is a call to obedience. Jesus took his seat and he has all authority, which means he has authority over my life. Over your life. 
Listen to how Paul connects the dots between Christ raised and seated in heaven and the direction of my life. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. If the resurrection is true and a reality in your life, you are seated in him, you believe in him, Seek the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. In God, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. It's a call for me to obey Christ and follow him and set my mind on things above. Jesus is risen He has finished his work. He has taken his seat. He has all authority in heaven and earth. How will you respond to that reality today? How will I? With faith, with worship, with obedience, with devotion? I hope so, my friends. I hope you will trust in him today. I hope you will have joyful confidence in him today. And I hope you will set your mind to follow him today and tomorrow and the rest of your life. Let's pray, and then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. Sam Parker is going to come and lead us in that. So, Father, we, we are so thankful for the empty tomb, for the hope that we have in Christ, and for the seat that Jesus has taken on them at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, Lord, I pray that our confidence today would be in Christ and not in ourselves. Our hope, our joy, all of that, seated with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.